Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, I know that each one of us, you know, we're faced with challenges in our life. And I can't help but think of, and we sang a lot about today about God's love and how much he's there and he's good. And uh, there's times in our lives that we, sometimes we struggle with, how could he be good? I'm going through this or what I'm going through. But he is a good God and we trust because where else can we turn except to God? And so he's there for us. Uh, we're continuing our series today on Generation Influence. My title this morning, though, is Rediscovering Grace. Rediscovering Grace. And I felt like the Lord was taking me down this path and just to kind of open up the door again to some of these things because so many times we get involved in our lives and doing things, and we sort of miss some things. And we get, especially people who have been Christians for a long time, and they kind of get in that mode of, of comfort and relaxed and, and kind of get that feeling of, well, you know, people should behave this way or, or act this way. And I just, as we're going through the different generations, today we're going to talk briefly about Generation Z. Generation Z, and if you're in that generation, you probably know who you are, it's kind of the younger age, uh, let's just start with 18, probably 18 to 23, 24, somewhere in there, is that generation, a lot of things are happening with Generation Z. Anybody in that generation here? So we have uh, quite a few hands in there that fit in that category. I had mentioned last week, it's interesting statistic, because those that fall in that category that were, were introduced to Christianity as a child or grew up in that, they were making decisions, basically, when they got out of school, to leave the church. And it was 60% of them were leaving the church. Now, not really sure what the reason behind that, but the, the one thing that really struck me, too, was that only 20% of all of the Generation Z group thought that church had any relevance or importance to them whatsoever. So it caused me to think a little bit about that situation so we know that people are the church. It's not the building, it's the people. We understand that that's what makes up the church and that the building is a gathering place for people to come to. Those people include every generation. So from the youngest to the oldest, that's the generation that God is after because we're all in that and he's after all of us and we believe that. And so are they rejecting the concept of a building or maybe they're rejecting the previous generations, the way they do things, and maybe they're not seemingly opening up to receive and to open to maybe what they're thinking or what they see. There's a lot of possibilities. So I want to go down a little bit of a path this morning. Lord, I ask you as we look into your word this morning and see some things that just in this area of rediscovering grace, of your grace, God, and it's so good in the grace that you have given us so freely that we're able to process that in such a way that we can give it out to others and that we don't just stop and look at other people differently. God, allow us to see through your eyes, to see others and see how we work together as generations in building your kingdom. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. You know what? It seems like I'm seeing things, trends of some things that I believe are unsustainable in this regard. And I'm not trying to in any way put down any generation. But as a pastor, I begin to see some things that 
the traditional generation, those who are 75 and older, they're still young, but they're that generation that is our great examples to us. But it's been difficult for some of them to make, to allow other generations to sort of meld and mix in. They have ideas of what they want, and it's a lot of times, it's what happened in yesterday, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they're kind of living in that time and wanting that to be today. Well, I understand that. And then you have the, the younger generation said, but that's really old. This is what's going on. So there's, there's some things that we can do to help bring some things together to be able to come together and say, what can we do as a generation, all of us, to fulfill what God's called us to do as a church? And I think that's important to us. What I've noticed is, and myself, I'm a grandparent, and I'm excited about that, but I know that sometimes in our personal life, in our biological situation, over generations, we're excited about that, and somehow we create this love fest with our grandkids and great-grandkids and, and so forth, and it becomes something that's exciting, and we, we figure out and we just and we make those things, but when it crosses into the church, for some reason, we don't have that same sense and feel that we do in our biological life, and I don't believe that that's God's idea. I believe his heart is to be the, is the same for in the body of Christ as we work together as generations. I believe that to be true, and so instead of thinking that the younger generation is too radical or too obnoxious or they think they know everything. And then the younger generation thinking that the older generation, they're just old fuddy-duddies. They're living in the past. You know, everything's past them. They don't have a clue about life anymore. So there's this thing, but I don't believe that's what God is wanting us to focus on. And so there's some good things he wants us to focus on. And we all want grace. We do, because We've experienced grace, especially those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you, you understand and you begin to go, wow, man, I deserve way more than that. You know, Here I have the grace of God in my life. And we understand what it is to receive grace, but are we willing to give grace? That would be a question. I want to read us a portion of scripture this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read this in the message version, message Bible. And this is what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. How many can say amen? That was me. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. It was a natural thing for us. just like, okay, this is the world that I live in. I, we breathe in all of the garbage of the world, and what comes out is the pollution of, of that, what we're breathing in. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. We're all there. We're all sinners saved by grace. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Yeah, he could have just like, man, I'm done. You know, I, I don't like what I created here. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He embraced us and said, you and all of your crap, all of your junk, come on to me. I have a good plan for you. He knew exactly how messed up we were. He said, come on, come on, come on, I love you. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. 
It's a good thing. You know what? We think we can fix things ourselves. We think we're good at, and we're not. We're not. And he lets us stumble around and gives us that space to mess it up and figure it out. And eventually he's like, hey, when you're ready, come see me. I got a good plan. But he'll allow us to kind of stumble around and figure it out. He did this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus. We're seated with him, the right hand of our Father, our Messiah. Verse 10, now God has us where he wants us. Listen to this. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. He, just, he says, I got the rest of eternity Starting now, through, I'm just going to dump grace and mercy. My kindness, it's coming on you. That's his heart for us. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. Do you trust him with your life? We've messed it up. We can't do it. We fail. It's his idea, not ours. It's God's gift from the start to finish. It's his gift to us. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. We get braggadocious, if that's even a word. We get that way. We, sometimes we brag about it. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. We're good. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. Notice that? He's not about joining you in what you do and your mess and junk. He said, just put that down and come and join me in what I'm doing because I'm doing a good work and you're part of that. So we're there. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. We got stuff to do. We got work to do. We have grace to give because he's given it to us. We just read that. God has showered us with his Grace and his kindness. It's like opening up a faucet and just, it's just there. It showered upon us. But for some reason, we have forgotten about that. And our tendency is to become a shower of judgment and unkindness to others. Somehow we've forgotten what his grace is and his kindness is. And when we turn and we look at other people, we have this attitude of we're better than them. Or they screwed up, so they deserve what they get. So then let, let them go figure it out. That's not God's heart at all. He says, come on, I want to embrace everyone, everyone. You know, it's a good thing we, don't, we can't save ourselves. Because if we, if we could, the pride meter would be going through the roof. We'd have this arrogancy about us. Can you imagine if salvation was experienced at a... You know, on the 4th of July, you have the parades and stuff, and you have the cars that go through, and you sit there and watch them go through... Salvation through faith, by grace through faith, salvation experience that we have, that we didn't earn it, but God gave it to us, and we experienced that. We're sitting in a fully restored, beautiful 1957 Chevy Bel Air, something like that. Some of you guys are going, that is a sweet car. It's a restored, restoration restored car, and you're sitting in that car, and you're driving that car in the parade, and all you're thinking about is the kindness and the goodness of God that got you to that place of salvation, the grace of God, and you're in tears thinking of that, and you're looking at everybody and going, come on, come experience what I've experienced. So there's something good about what's going on in my life. I don't understand everything, but it's good. It's refreshing. And then you have the person that is 
arrogantly thinking that they could save themselves, that they could fix their life, and they're sitting in their brand new Lamborghini, and they're driving in that thing, and they have a proud look on their face, and they're, they're like, hey, stay away from me. Uh, you know, this is my club. You can't be a part of it. You know, you go find somewhere else. So there's this whole difference of rejection versus acceptance. And I believe that God's heart is there for every one of us. So then we might think, well, as a church, how do we reach the Generation Z? Well, I don't know that that should even be a question in the sense of how do we reach that generation? I think that's a good question. But I believe God is about reaching every generation. And so we can't start looking at that. But there's something that we can begin to do. We create opportunities for generations. We create opportunities in the church for things, influence groups that can be added, bring added value to the whole. There's a lot of things we can do to help in those things. But maybe we begin to change our mindset on what church is. I mean, there's a lot of things because we get mired in this is what church has always been and this is the way it's going to be and the way it's supposed to be. Well, I don't know. Is that God or is that just us and what we've been told all the time? I think Sundays, for lack of some other term, Sundays should be unselfish Sunday because we come with all our selfishness and all about me and my problem and this and that, and I sure hope somebody cares about me, and just unselfishly come to give, to give grace, to be there, to be kind to others, to show the love and the mercy of God. Selfless Sunday, SS. I want to do something this morning. So I want to go through really quick and grab a hold of five generations, five people. So a howl just for the fact that you're close and you don't mind the fact that you're in the traditional uh, generation. Do you mind coming standing right here? Because you're over 74, 75. I know because you just celebrated your 80th birthday, 80th birthday. So stand there. Baby boomer, somebody in your 60s-ish, somebody. Come on. I need a baby boomer. Come up here. Al, thank you very much. Gen X, between 40 and 54, somewhere in there, your 40s, early 50s, somebody, Gen Xer. Somebody here fits that. You're over 40. Come on, before I start calling you out. Come, that's right. Okay. Millennial, 24 to 39, somebody in their 30s, somewhere, millennial. So Generation Z, kind of the 18 to 23. Someone, all right, come on, Jordan. All right, so look at this. So you have five generations that are standing here this morning that really cover the generations, and then there's additional ones that are coming up still. But this is interesting because Jordan and Hal, would it be weird or would it be cool if you guys went to coffee together? It'd be cool. Yeah. (laughs) Because normally in our life, we hang around those who are kind of who are like us in our generation and who we, we get along with. And we've often miss incredible opportunities that we have. So if Jordan and Hal went to coffee, and Jordan would ask Hal, hey, tell me a little bit about your experiences in life. And then Hal would go, you know what? I want to understand what your life too. Tell me a little about that. So you start getting things, and you start going, hey, this is cool. I would have never found this. You would have never known that Hal was alive before cars were even around. Uh, <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> I mean, he could tell you the term. Hor- <laughs> he could tell you the term "horseless carriage" because you might not know what that is, and Hal could tell you actually what a dial tone is on a telephone, or how about the rotary phone? Yeah. 
I saw a, a video. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, YouTube video. That's incredible. You've got to go on there and find it. And I don't know his title, but it's a rotary phone. The dad sticks it in front of his boys to make a phone call with this. And they're in five minutes, they're dumbfounded. They can't figure out how to use the thing. And they can't, in five minutes, they couldn't figure out how to make a call. They just stared at it. They pick it up and they put their finger in the holes and they just they couldn't figure it out. So kind of cool stuff. And so we have these, all these generations that have incredible things that can cross over and share with each other. And I think it's important as believers, as the body of Christ and as people who care about each other is connect, connect in this. Because God's heart is for the whole generation. And so much we get stuck in our generation. Because how could come and say, Pastor Steve, you guys never sing the songs that I like. He could come to me and tell me that. And you know what? And we occasionally, we do put in a hymn or something. And I do have people come and say, thank you for doing that. But he also appreciates and understands where we're going. Because we're always moving forward. We're always the songs we do, are, they worship God, they, they express our love back and forth, so they're good, great songs. Amen. It just might not be a song that you think, well, it's not the old rugged cross, and I want to sing that song. Yes. Well, that's fine, and you can put that on your iPod or whatever you have, your, your tape, your record player, tape recorder, eight track, whatever you have. It's great, and occasionally we'll do that, but understanding to be able to make the transitions in different things. But also for the younger generation to go, you know, I want to appreciate what the previous generations appreciated and why that song is so meaningful to them because it made such a difference in their life. And then you can take that song and maybe redo it and add some uh, beatbox to it or something. (laughs) So just cool. So I'm just saying this, and you guys can go sit down, but thank you guys for just the representation of, of the different groups. But I I would just encourage to discover some things. So the words that I would throw out there is connect, experience, discover, unite, and influence. Those are words that can be used in this. Connect, you guys get together, connect. You experience something from the other person, and then you discover it. Wow. Then you become united in it, and then you can be influential together in, in what we're doing. Amen. Discover the strength of each generation. And appreciate the experiences and the differences as well. And so we can do this together, united. For the church to move forward, we must, though, we must be able to reach across to the different generations, the Generation Z we're talking about. I want to just give you really quick eight unique characteristics of the Generation Z. And I believe it's why they should matter. They should matter big time in the church. Number one, they're true digital natives. They don't know anything else but all the computer stuff, all the phones, all, everything is digital. They have no idea of frame of reference of what it is to live without the digital age and, and all the internet and all those things, laptops, cell phones, all of that stuff. So they've always been there for them. So they handle anything to do with that. They handle that really well. And, and so they, they are definitely natives to the new digital age. It's interesting because I, I saw something I was reading the other day that college textbooks are going away. Maybe they've gone away. I don't know. I'm not in college, but some of you may know this. But they're, they'll be going away because you pay, what, $500 a semester or something for college books? But now you... Is it more than that now? <laughs> See, Is it? See, it's been a while. But now you... All of those things, 24,000 volumes of college textbooks are available online for $120 a semester kind of a thing. It's kind of the stuff I was reading about. 
So there's, things are changing and evolving all the time. The second thing is that they can multitask. They can start something at their office or at home, working on something on their computer, go to work, do the same thing on that computer on their way home, talk Bluetooth and send messages or make notes about something or call their you know, family, whatever, and get home and you can still be working on the same project. You're multitasking, doing things all the time. They have high expectations. It's the constant stream of information and the entertainment at their fingertips and thinking about the the boomer years of me, but I, I'm really a Gen Xer in the sense that that's what I grew up in that era, even though I'm a baby boomer. But thinking like if you had, because we had like, what, 10 or 12 channels on TV growing up, and then that changed and all of a sudden you have 50 or whatever. And so now there's hundreds and the kids nowadays, they don't have any frame of reference what it was like. They've got the videos on the high definition video right on your telephone. I just think, I remember when our kids were little, and from my work, I borrowed this huge camera that it was amazing because that was really the cool thing. That was, and it was kind of your home camera, but it was like, man, it was shoulder mount thing. And I'm videoing my kids, but, but the quality is, cr- is crazy, not good. And so we still today watch those videos, but it's like, you know, it's like, wow, that's horrible. Back then you thought it was good. And now you're looking at it and go, wow, because the video... The high definition, everything is so incredibly good. And so there's all this excellence that everybody's be able to do in that age group. Number four, they value face-to-face communication. This is interesting because the millennials are kind of, they were the opposite. They just want to do things and communicate via phone or other texting and all that. And where the reality is that the Generation Z will use that technology to get information out. But their objective is to let's meet together face-to-face at some point, but it's that tool, they use it for their benefit. It's almost like coming full circle to where they're coming back to the reality of face-to-face is good to where I think the millennials kind of got away from that in a lot of aspects. So the face-to-face communication, number five, they're practical instead of idealistic. And it's interesting because they grew up in the Great Recession. I'm thinking, well, some of you here may remember the Great Depression, which was back in the 30s. Well, I just realized that the Generation Z grew up in the Great Recession, which is about a dozen years ago. They experienced probably their parents losing jobs or they lost their house or whatever. So they had this becoming practical in how they lived and interested in the security of a good job and, and saying, wow, thank you, for the Lord, for this job. We're willing, I'm willing to work hard, whatever I have to do to make a living for my family. Uh, number six, they're entrepreneurial. They're very highly motivated in their work. It's interesting that there was a survey done recently for high school seniors, and 72% said, I would love to have my own business someday. That's pretty high, because previous generations like, hey, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know. I'm going to just figure it out. But they're, they're becoming more motivated at wanting to do some things. And number eight, the last, they're global. They think globally, because now with the ability, just, just like that, you can be connected anywhere in the world. They think missional. They, they want to be involved in things that are going on around the world. And so there's a global perspective instead of just what's going on in my neighborhood or my community. These are just a few ways that the gen, Generation Z is a little bit different. But it makes it great. And I believe as they grow, the church will grow and find more things that can help pull us together. And so it's preparing to meet the challenges in the future. So in this rediscovering grace, what I'm talking about and where we're at, will be a key in how we 
interact with each generation. I believe having the grace for that. And the last portion of scripture I want to spend a few moments on here this morning is Luke chapter 15. And this is a story that maybe a lot of you are familiar with, some maybe not. But this is a story that I think brings this all together really well in this area of grace and understanding. And there's an element of judgment in this too that we will see as it unfolds. But this is the story of the man who had the two sons. And one son, the youngest son comes to him, Dad, man, I, I'm frustrated. I'm tired of milking cows. I'm tired of pulling weeds. I'm tired of whatever. I want out. And I want my inheritance now. And I just want to go live my life. I want out. Dad didn't challenge him at all, didn't ask him any questions. Okay, son, you want out? Here's your half of your inheritance. And within a few days, he's gone. He takes off, and he's going to go live life, and he's going to have fun. He's going to go experience, and his dad had all this rules, and he had to work on the farm and all this stuff, and I'm just going to go out, and I'm going to enjoy life. So he packed up his belongings, and he took off. Verse 13, it talks about that he wasted all his money and wild living. He just got out there and lived crazy, going to parties. He was probably buying people drinks. He was doing all these things, just having a good time and thinking life is exciting. I can't believe that I'm out here. I can't believe my dad gave me all this money. But pretty soon, because he had no boundaries in his life and not, not a good understanding of how to handle that money and live. So verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. The Great Recession hit. All of a sudden, he was in this place. He ran out of money. He began to starve. He got a job at a local farmer feeding pigs. And it got to the point where the food he was feeding the pigs started, that was looking good. He started eating that food because he just wasn't, he wasn't able to sustain himself. And so he's out there mucking around with these dirty pigs, eating the pig food. And he has this, all of a sudden, moment of, what am I doing? What am I doing? And so in verse 17, he finally comes to his senses, and he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So he said, I'm going to go home to my dad. I'm going to go back to where I know that I can at least be taken care of. I know now I appreciate what I had because I went out and experienced some things, which is good that he came to his senses in that regard. Sometimes it takes people longer than others, but he comes to this place. And so he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to go home to my father, let him know that I've sinned, I've messed up. And he says, I'm not even worthy of being your son anymore. I'm not worried of that, but please, if, just take me back as a hired servant. I, I'm happy with that. And so he understood that. So what does he do? He returns home to his father and was, while he was still a long ways away, the Bible says that his father sees him and he starts running to him. He's running, and this is the great demonstration of grace. Can you can imagine the fear in the young man's you know, mind and thinking about what's going to happen? Because I know Father's, he's, man, he's not going to be happy, whatever it is. But he still was willing to take the risk. He probably understood the character of his dad as well. He probably had this feeling, well, let me try this. And I mean, worst case is it doesn't work, but it, maybe it'll work. He's running, and he embraces him. And he's like, oh, welcome home. And just the grace that comes out, and I'm sure that he just, they probably both, they were both weeping. And it was an incredible moment. He's like, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll, I'll be your servant. I don't care. You, I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
And his dad's like, oh, come on. And he embraces him, just like Jesus. And God embraces us when he says, come to me in all of your stuff. He probably smelled like pigs. He had mud all over him, whatever. It didn't matter. It's the same that Jesus said, come on. I'm going to embrace you in all of your filth and all of your mud. You smell like pig. It doesn't matter. And so his father was, he was a symbol of Jesus in that sense of grabbing his son and saying, in all of your mess, come on, come on. And you know what? Let's throw a party. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. And so his father, he calls to the servants, quick, bring the fatted calf. Let's barbecue. Let's, let's smoke this thing. Let's get the smoker out. Let's make some really good brisket and whatever it is. Let, filet mignon. Let's get the best stuff. And let's throw that stuff on the grill. We're going to have a party. And so he gets a ring, puts it on his finger, gets a robe, the finest robe, and he puts sandals on his feet. He gets, he's all cleaned up, and, and, and he said, we're going to celebrate with this feast. And it, he gives him the best of the best of the best, when really the son, all, he didn't deserve anything other than, well, son, go in your room, think about what you did wrong. You know, if you're not willing to change, you can leave again. No, it was, man, I am so glad. I'm so glad. Whatever you've been through, whatever it was, it doesn't matter because my grace is there for you. Because he said this, the father, of the son that I had, he was dead, he was gone, but now he is alive. He has returned. And I want to celebrate. Because when God allows us to go out and wander a lot of times, and he allows us to do that, just like this father allowed his son to do that. He just said, okay, son, here's all your money, go. Because he could have easily said, nope, Son, you're not doing a thing. Get back, get back out to work, and you, you better appreciate what you have. And, you know, if you try this again, you're going to get a whooping. No, he just said, okay, in the same way God is to us. All right? I'm not going to stop you. Go ahead. But the good thing is, Hebrews 4.16 talks about in your worst moment, the times that you need him the most, he said, come running. Come running. Come to me. Come on, I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to take you in. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. And I'm going to pour my goodness upon you. So they end up celebrating. But here's the deal. He had an older brother who was out in the field working, doing what he's supposed to do, being a good son, working hard. He hears all this noise and celebration and partying going on. So he comes in from the field. What's going on? Oh, your brother came home. Your dad's throwing a big party for him. And he's just excited then you have this whole thing. It's like, okay, what's brother going to do? Brother didn't have the character yet. He didn't have the wisdom and the, the life lived like the father did and understood. And he gets mad. He gets all mad. What in the world? I've been working my butt off out here. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do, dad. I can't believe that you're giving this to him and it should be mine. And, and his dad's like, hey, hold on, son. He goes, everything I have is yours. Everything I have, because remember, he already gave his youngest son everything, his part of it. So whatever's left, everything I have is yours, because there are consequences, too, when we run off and do our thing, because the son's home, but guess what? He blew his inheritance, but now he's got to figure it out, and he's willing to. He's willing to work hard. He's willing to figure it out. He asked for forgiveness. Dad, just take me as a servant. I don't care. I, I get it now. So there's that. The, the other son, if he changes his attitude about, about this. He's got incredible life ahead of him. He's got the inheritance. Everything's yours. But son, we're celebrating because your brother, who was once dead, is now found. And we're going to celebrate this. You know, and then he, he talks about his brother squandering all of his money and, and all of those things. And 
He said, hey, son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Grace, grace. And so many times, maybe we know people in our life, family members, friends, people that have just wandered away or done, made bad decisions or bad choices, and our thought is to be judgmental. It's like, well, man, you know what? They deserve everything they get. Or they made a stupid decision there. And you know, they're, you know what? They got to figure it out. I'm not helping them. But God is telling us. He demonstrated to us. This is what I want. I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you everything. You don't deserve any of this. But he's given us grace. And he said, all I'm asking for you in return is to give it to somebody else. Give grace to somebody. Because that's the thing. And I believe in the church... One of the most challenging things is we become judgmental, especially if we've been a Christian for a while. We measure people to what we you know, feel, well, this is what they should do, this is what I do, and not realizing that they're in the same place you were at one point, and somehow you've forgotten that. You've forgotten what that's like. You know, it would be crazy to think, wow, if God walked away from me and said, well, I'm pulling that back, how would we feel? We do that to people, maybe unknowingly. We pull that grace back, and that's all, that might be what they needed just to get them through whatever that time in their life. Grace received helps us understand how to exemplify or to live grace and to give grace to others. So when we receive it, we understand what it is, and that's why it's so important. I just believe that there's rediscovering grace, I think, especially for some of us who have been doing this for a while living this Christian life, and I think we get caught up in so many things, and we get outside the element of grace, and we get in that element of judgment and condemning, and I don't, that's not the heart of God, and so as hard as for us to have grace, to embrace, uh, when you have conversations with people, they should be able to express themselves to you and tell you, hey, this is going on, and you should be able to just say, you know what, love covers you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't say it excuses it. it covers, it's the fact that, man, I know you and you've made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? It doesn't matter. I still love you. And I'm still going to help usher you into the one who loves us. And that's Jesus Christ. So we point, that's the key for us too, is pointing people to Christ. It's not about us anyway. And we have the Holy Spirit that resides in us that's powerful, that's more powerful than anything. And to take advantage of that, that operates and flows in us and through us, so that people can see the work of the cross in our life. And it, and it gives open opportunity for each one of us. Would you stand with me this morning? God is good. He is a good God. We're going to sing a song. and Maybe you know somebody here this morning. Maybe you came with somebody or you're, you're friends with somebody. Or maybe you know something that's going on in their, their life, their situation. Um, but while we're singing this, just be sensitive to say, you know what? I care about you. I, I, I care about what's going on in your life. Let, just put your hand on their shoulder and just uh, encourage them or pray for them. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, we want to pray for you too. So at the end of the service, certainly come and see any of us, uh, our prayer pastors here, Helen, Carol, myself, Brett, Jeff, there's other people here. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you have not experienced the love of Christ in your life. You don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ of, of understanding 
what he did on the cross for you and that, that he died for you. He died, he gave his life for you. You might not understand what even does that mean, but I will tell you that from my experience and coming to Jesus say, I can't do this. Lord, you need to help me. Lord, forgive me for all my stuff. Lord, I just want you to come and be Lord of my life. I, I want to give it to you now. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm like the prodigal son that, that took off. That's, that's kind of been me, Lord. But I'm coming back, and Lord, I'm here to embrace. I want the embrace of, of, of God, the goodness of God. If that's you this morning and you've never experienced that love of God, the grace of God, we want to pray for you this morning too. So let's sing this song and, and just be in that frame of mind and, and, and understanding of how good God is and how much he loves us and that his grace is sufficient for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 